Will he find faith on earth? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Jesus offers this parable to his disciples at this portion in Luke so that they can remember to hang in there and to pray and to not lose heart. And one of the things that I think that he is helping to teach them to do during this season when they are not quite getting ready to say goodbye to him, but almost at that point since we're moving towards the end of the gospel is he's trying to help them to figure out how they will continue to stoke their desires, to stoke their desires for justice, even when the world around them begins to shift and fall apart. They're going to have to look back at that moment and figure out how do they cultivate and stoke desires when it seems as if nobody else around them is sharing the ones that they have. So it's a little bit of an urgent text, a little bit of a text from maybe what we might call the first half, right? The first half, the half that's still engaging in the project in a very unique way. And the psalmist comes from what we might consider to be the second half. It's a different perspective. It's a different perspective on life. The psalmist has this very long perspective of wisdom. And the psalmist also, in this very long perspective of wisdom, offers a way for each individual to continue to facilitate desire. To continue to facilitate desire. In other words, there's no time in life when desire just goes away. Right? To be alive is to be full of desire. And maybe if that's not happening, that's something that helps us to know that that's something that we need to be healed from. And maybe some of the questions are, what are we desiring? But in any case, the psalmist is sort of also stoking that desire. And the psalmist wonders, what does desire need to be directed towards? In kind of looking at this whole spectrum of life, what does desire need to be directed towards And then the psalmist comes up with this wonderful and beautiful refrain that desire is to be directed towards God alone. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. God is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. In God, I will not be shaken. The gospel asks the same questions, but from a different perspective. How do we keep asking? How do we keep working? How do we keep knocking? on this door of justice when it seems like it is a blatant and lost cause. And just to explore the parable that Jesus gives for a second, the widow in the parable, as we notice, has very little power. The only power that the widow has is that the ability to keep coming back to this particular judge. But we notice that Jesus gives her the benefit of the doubt, that Jesus favors her. Jesus sort of sets a parable in which she wins the day because she becomes so inconvenient for the judge that it was easier for that individual to accommodate her than to not accommodate her. And I just want to notice that her victory here comes not through her power, 
but through her ability to interrupt. Sometimes we think that victory is associated with power, but in this particular context, we see that victory is associated with the ability to interrupt and to keep interrupting. And at the end of the day, the unjust judge, who unfortunately he's called, we're just sort of left with that name, uh, does not meet the widow in her desire for justice. He doesn't, at the end of the day, share the same desire that she does. They don't have a meeting of the minds in terms of desires, but they have a meeting of the minds in terms of outcome because at the end of the day, the judge just wants the widow's stability. And so he accommodates her. And the question that it seems that the gospel continues to ask is how do we keep this desire for justice alive? How do we keep it alive in a world where it seems like it's almost impossible to be found? Because justice is associated with desire. And somehow we need to stoke the fires of the human heart so that we can figure out how to continue kindling that space to keep justice alive, right? Well, the psalmist takes it just a little bit further. The psalmist takes it just a little bit further because the psalmist wants to notice sort of everything about the landscape of the human heart. And the psalmist noticed That justice alone is not the only thing that the human heart is going to desire, but that justice needs to be held sort of by the weight of something that is even bigger. And the psalmist calls that God. My soul finds rest in God alone, the psalmist says. The psalmist gives us this idea that the human heart needs to be grounded in the heart of God, in order for desire to happen, in order for justice to happen, in order for satisfaction to happen, that somehow our human heart needs to be grounded in the love and in the faithfulness and in the steadfast presence of God. And both of these texts sort of come from different angles to help us understand this relationship between desire and justice, between where the human heart is in relationship to God and how it is that we stoke our desires towards that. These two texts put in conversation with each other sort of raise these issues from different perspectives, but give us a way of examining this issue of, do I just desire justice, which might be one way of approaching it? Do I just desire spirituality, which might be another way of approaching it? Or do I figure out how to put these things in conversation with one another? And do I let justice and spirituality come together to open my heart so that I can live as an individual that is grounded in the heart of God. That is grounded in the heart of God. The biblical understanding of justice, of course, is connected with this whole idea of shalom. And we cannot understand shalom 
without connecting it with a deep understanding of who we are in relationship to the creator of the universe, who we are in relationship to God. Shalom is a deeply spiritual word. It deals not just with the reality that is going on with the earth, but the reality that is going on inside of us, right? Shalom assumes that we are spiritual creatures and that we need to be in relationship with a spiritual being. But shalom also assumes that as we go on this journey, that we work outward, right? That we work towards justice, that the expression of that spiritual life has sort of an external arm in the way in which we interact in the world, right? So those two things are always in relationship with one another. So to put justice and spirituality in conversation with each other, it's a very biblical thing to do, right? It's a very biblical dialogue. How do these two things work together? And it's part of what we see in our text today and a little bit of what we'll continue to unpack as we go along this morning. As we go along this journey of unpacking this connection between justice and spirituality, I want to share one more thing about the gospel text that we have today. One more thing. It's a little bit of a word study, but it's going to help us to understand. This word for justice, it's a different word than we see in other places. And if you'll remember, the New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. So when the Old Testament talks about justice, it sort of looks forward to this idea of shalom. The New Testament is always stuck with Greek ideas, so it doesn't always access that in the same way. But it talks about righteousness as connected to justice. That's how we understand justice within the New Testament. In any case, this is the word for justice, but it has an additional um, thing that's stuck on the front of it, which means to avenge, right? Not a helpful word for us in English at all because it has to do with revenge and how it is that we might, you know, hurt somebody else. That's not the idea that we're getting at. The idea that we're getting at is that the righteousness that happens, the justice that happens, the way in which the scales have been righted need to be felt by another human being in order to be experienced. That's really what avenge means. Avenge means that there will be a cost for that which has been done, right? So if we think about it in its most elemental Old Testament way, we get that idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? And we're not talking about that today, but it's the concept that I want you to understand, which is that which has been taken will be felt to the same degree, okay? That which has been broken will be experienced to the same degree, not by the individual that felt it, but by somebody else, so that that scale of justice is then put back in line. And what Jesus is saying is that somebody needs to feel the cost. Somebody needs to feel the cost of oppression that has been done from one group in order to really understand what has been happened. Somebody needs to feel the weight of the pain of another so that that 
justice scale can go back in line. It needs to be experienced. Now, this is a very complicated topic, right? And we're just skimming the surface of it today. But the reason why it's important is because as we get to the end of the parable, what Jesus says is, therefore, does not God grant justice, that's that word, avenging, to that which God has chosen? Does not God take up that experience of pain and suffering into God's self for those that God has chosen? And it's the word for the elect, but it means the choice that God has made in the world, right? So it's this idea that it's not just about fixing the problem on the surface, but it's about creating space for the weight of the story to be told. Creating space for the weight of the story to be told. And that is one of the reasons why justice and spirituality are so connected. And in our faith and in our tradition, they cannot become disconnected because as we make space to feel the weight of the other, we can't take that up all by ourselves. We need to be able to be in the hands of somebody else who can help us, who can give us the grounding to understand that, who can give us the grace to let go of what we need to let go. As we start to put ourselves out there in the world, as individuals who are willing to hear the sufferings of one another, it is not easy work. There are no easy solutions. There are no ways to make everything right with policies. There's ways to improve things, for sure. We all can agree to that. We can agree, we can improve things through policies we can improve things and we can streamline things with all of that external work that we do. But all of us that have been on that long work of justice, when we are working with others who have been suffering within the world, we recognize that there is a peace that we cannot do on our own. There is a deep spiritual longing within, within every human being that we cannot provide for. And so that's why the psalmist sort of creates this lovely partner companionship text to this parable piece that reminds us that our souls need to find rest in God alone. That that is the place where we are able to find healing. And as we go in the world and do this work of justice, we too come to places where we need healing. Where the work that we're doing is suddenly too big for us. Or where the policies that are before us are suddenly so complex that we're not sure just how to make sense of it. And I've worked with so many of you in this room, and I know and trust that we all do the best that we can. 
But at the end of the day, the Bible calls us to this place where we can all put our arms open and say, regardless of our tireless efforts towards justice, it wasn't enough. We need more. We need to be filled and healed by the Spirit of God. We need to be in a place where we stand on solid and equal ground with one another, where we can all come together to say those words, my soul finds rest in God alone. In God, we will not be shaken. God is our fortress and our salvation. Friends, as we celebrate our new members today, there is much to be known about other people's stories. As we walk alongside our old members who have been here for many, many years and have seen this church go through so many different chapters of its life, there is still so much to be known, so much to make space for. And that's part of our work as a community, is to make space for the lives and the stories of one another. And as we go out into the world, boy, we take that exercise that we do in here, and we move it out, and we begin to make space and to listen to all of those that we work with in different partnerships and in different policies and in different organizations, and we do our best to create that fabric of justice. But at the end of the day, we come back with open hands to say, it was a little, but it wasn't everything. It's not the full weight of the human heart. The full weight of the human heart is that my soul finds rest in God alone. In God, I will not be shaken. God is my fortress and my salvation. So that dialogue, that conversation between justice and spirituality, it's so important. It's the heartbeat of our faith. But it has an anchor. And the anchor is that no matter what you try to do, no matter what work you do in justice, it will matter, it will matter, it will matter, but it will not weigh your value. Because your value is weighed by the heart of God. And God has chosen you from before the foundation of the world in love. And so participate in justice wholeheartedly. Be like the widow. Interrupt. Right? But don't let that dictate your value. Your value is weighed by the one who has loved you since before the foundation of the world. Only that being, that person, who has been made known in the second person of the Trinity, only that person is able to hold the fullness of your human heart.
take peace. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for these texts and the way that they put justice and spirituality in conversation. Be our anchor as we go forward into the world to continue to do this work. And we ask this in your name.